couldn't seem as though your friend was going to show up, Shy. Maybe, um, I may be able to convince you that you've been waiting for me all the time and just didn't know it. By the way, who are you waiting for anyway? I'm waiting for Dolomite. For who? Dolomite, motherfucker, you heard, huh? Ahoy, mateys! It's time to hoist the mainsail and swab the decks. Because episode number 18 of the Silver Emotion Podcast is coming your way. <laughs> so get ready. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. Uh, if you notice, I might sound a little different. It's because I have my uh, my mic, the real mic. Uh, the real mic has stood up and presented itself. And uh, so hopefully, if this goes well, um, I don't have to use uh, the headset anymore, uh, which I never liked. Uh, so... But I gotta say, <laughs> the headset, I've, I've become very used to the, um, just how it feels like, uh, I can move my head around, well I guess I couldn't the last time, but, but, uh, I could move my head around and move the chair around and all that shit, and it was always right there in my face, but this thing, I have it set up kind of uncomfortably <laughs> and I have to kind of lean forward into it which hurts um, uh, but now I can do things like this and talk off mic wow. <laughs> um, yeah so it's it's a new thing I think it should sound better this mic is no by no means a, a, a great um, professional quality mic. It is a $10 mic that I've had for almost 20 years at this point. Uh, but it's still going. It's still going strong. And, uh, I, you know, <laughs> anyway, um, I gotta say, my, my, like, flow, <laughs> I feel like my flow is all different because now I got my face up against this mic. And, uh, I don't know. It feels weird. Anyway, uh, what am I going to talk about on the show today? I don't know. I didn't uh, pick a movie to do a feature on, and I don't know... I don't even remember what the fuck I watched. Um, <laughs> I feel like this is fucking podcast number one. <laughs> it's so weird. It's so fucking weird with this mic. Um, I think ultimately it's going to be better, but it's... <laughs> Just, you're in for a shitty show. <laughs> oh, now I can cough off mic. <laughs> Maybe I won't have to edit as much. That's cool. Because uh, before, man, like, I'd have to cough and I'd just be fucking... <laughs> the whole mic would just... And just fucking, like, on the, on the screen, you know, I see the little wave <laughs> form... <laughs> And it would just be this big giant block. <laughs> oh, 
Jesus, what the fuck was that? Somebody's after me. Um, okay, so what did I watch? I watched four movies, uh, two of which are Hong Kong films, and one is a horror movie, and the other one is a comedy. So, uh, I'll start with the Hong Kong movies. I don't really know... I mean... Yeah, fuck it. I don't. I didn't write much about these, so I don't know how much I can talk about them. Didn't I write? I didn't write anything for that. What the fuck? No, I think I did it on the phone. Did I do it on the phone? This is fucking riveting. <laughs> um, where is it? Yeah. Okay. So there's a little bit on the phone. Alright, so the first movie that I watched um, that I'm going to talk about is one called In the Line of Duty 3. Uh, In the Line of Duty 3 is technically the first In the Line of Duty film. <laughs> and the uh, In the Line of Duty 1 and In the Line of Duty 2 were uh, renamed... Um, after their success and I don't know if, if they might have named the first two on like their US release or some fucking shit I don't know and then this one um, came out and, and they're not related or anything it's just the first two uh, star Michelle Yeoh as a uh, kick ass cop uh, on the streets of Hong Kong and uh, the first movie is called Yes Madam and it is with Cynthia Rothrock and it's fucking dope and then uh, the second movie is uh, called Royal Royal Warriors <laughs> um, that was hard to say uh, Royal Warriors <laughs> is um, the second film and then In the Line of Duty 3 came out, uh, I think, a couple of years after Royal Warriors. But Royal Warriors, even though it is the second film to come out, was uh, retitled In the Line of Duty. And then Yes, Madam, the first movie was retitled In the Line of Duty 2. And then this movie uh, is just called In the Line of Duty 3, even though there's technically not a first two. So long-winded uh, description of this movie and uh, why this is hard too because the way I have this set up before you know the thing was on my face and I was just kind of in front of my computer now I got this thing set up in front of the computer and so it's kind of hard to like type and move around on the computer I mean I can I can see everything and use the mouse just fine but uh, the keyboard's a little different okay so in the line of duty 3 uh, apparently it was also known under the title yes madam 2 to further confuse things uh, it it was directed by Brandy Yoon and uh, Brandy Yoon is one of the Yoon clan um Yoon clan is a, a group of brothers who were the son of Simon Yoon. Uh, Simon Yoon was, uh, he played the uh, 
Beggar So in Drunken Master with Jackie Chan. And he's in a whole bunch of other shit, too. He's in Shaw Brothers movies um, from about the time of the stuff where I'm reviewing now, 74, 75. Um, anyway, he had a whole bunch of sons, and they eventually all went into um, martial arts choreography and some into directing. The most famous of those is Yoon Woo Ping, who has done many things in Hong Kong and then crossed over to America with things such as The Matrix and whatever else. You know, I don't fucking know. Um, but anyway, so, and, and he got in the game, just as a little side note, uh, Shaw Brothers lore. Uh, Yoon Woo Ping was brought into uh, the Shaw Brothers stable in probably... I think it was like 72 was his first credit. I'm not going to look it up. Um, but anyway, his his older brother, Yoon Chung Yan, was um, a choreographer at Shaw Brothers for an, a few years before Yoon Woo Ping was credited. And, I mean, they could have all been there just doing stunts or whatever. But in terms of just credits for action choreography, uh, Yoon Chung Yan was there and then... There was something where he he like pulled his brother in and said, "Hey, you want to help me on this thing or something?" Because because I believe their first movie together, their first movie was credited together, if I remember right. Anyway, Brandy Yoon is one of the younger uh, brothers of the Yoon clan, and he. Uh, worked in many films. He started as an extra uh, at the Shaw Brothers studio in uh, such films as Chinese Boxer, King Eagle, uh, Delightful Forest, King Boxer. Anyway, he's in a bunch of movies um, as an extra, basically, you know, some fucking thug in the back or whatever um, from about 1970 on and just... Uh, Basically, yeah, I mean, he was in all these Shaw Brothers movies up until, like, almost the 80s. Like, probably about the time when Yoon Woo Ping started directing. Anyway, so so uh, Brandy Yoon directed uh, in the line of Duty 3. Um, and he also, uh, there was a co-director on the movie, and that was a man called Arthur Wong. And Arthur Wong was uh, predominantly a cinematographer, he shot 101 Hong Kong movies, and he directed three. So clearly, uh, he was a cinematographer, and he still is a cinematographer. Uh, he shot a whole shitload of Hong Kong's greatest films. This guy uh, started working at the Shaw Studio in the late 70s. Um... And he worked a lot with uh, Mr. Lau Kar Young, and he shot, uh, Arthur Wong here shot 36 Chamber of Shaolin, Heroes of the East, uh, Dirty Ho, Mad Monkey Kung Fu, fucking, you know, a whole sh whole bunch of, of Lau Kar Long Shaw Brothers movies um, from around that time. Not all of them, but, but a bunch of them. And then when Shaw kind of... Uh, broke apart he went on to work at golden golden harvest so he shot like aces go places uh, and the sequel and then he started working with um 
Sammo Hung, and he shot Wheels on Meals, Twinkle Twinkle Lucky Stars, My Lucky Stars, Heart of Dragon, you know, Millionaire's Express, Eastern Condors, just a fucking list just keeps going. He shot Miracles for Jackie Chan. He, sh- he shot Once Upon a Time in China. He shot Armor of God 2. You know, I mean, this dude was fucking hitting it hard. <laughs> you know, I mean, seriously. He shot Crime Story, fucking, you know, the list goes on. Chinese Ghost Story Part 2. Did you do the first one? I don't see it. Anyway, dude uh, is a legit cinematographer, and he still is working. He's been working steady, it looks like, from this uh, filmography. His last movie was a movie called League of Gods in uh, 2016, uh, starring Jet Li. So, still in demand. Uh, but but as I mentioned before, he only directed three movies, and Brandy Yoon only directed four movies. And in the line of duty, three, therefore, is not a very uh, well-made movie. Um, I had a hard time keeping fucking interested in it. Like, it's a Hong Kong movie, so I know that I'll be rewarded at some point. Um, You know, with some dope action. But, like, it was hard. <laughs> to get there with In the Line of Duty 3. Uh, it was rough. And that's, that's, it's saying something because generally, like, I, I, I don't remember if I mentioned it on the podcast before, but like, I love Hong Kong movies so much that I basically, like, have fun watching every one that I watch. There's some Shaw Brothers movies that are just shit. I mean, very few do I just straight out hate. And I watch a lot of Shaw Brothers movies, obviously. Um, and there's a few things here or there that are just like, eh, I don't know, it's not very good. But the most part, I'm just like, I don't know, that shit was dope. <laughs> and I just have a good time with him. Uh, In the Line of Duty 3 was very hard to do that with, though. Um it has a really shaky story, which is fine if the action is good enough, but the action in this movie is uh, kind of choppy. Like, it's it's short, short little uh, bursts of action instead of big action scenes. And there's a, some action scenes. <laughs> there's a some action scenes, but <laughs> but it's just not at the same level. Especially coming from uh, Royal Warriors and Yes, Madam, which both have like some really kick-ass action. Um, this one, Michelle Yeoh is gone, and the the, the no nonsense cop is played by Cynthia Khan, and I believe uh, this is her first movie. It is not okay. Well, whatever. <laughs> I thought it was her first movie. Anyway. It's close to her first movie, and um, it's if nothing else, it's it's like a movie that she's known for, uh, and a series that she's known for because the 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 In the Line of Duty series continued on with um, Cynthia Khan all the way up to I think uh, In the Line of Duty Seven. 
think that's the last one. But I could be wrong. There might be an eight. Oh, there is. In the line of duty, the beginning. <laughs> Wait, is there another one? Oh, no, that's six. How the fuck is that six? Oh, they're the same year. Okay, so fuck, 1991 had three of them. <laughs> Jesus. Wow. Oh, and then she starred in Inspector Wears Skirts Part 4. So I guess she took over that as well. That was another series. Um, okay. <laughs> oh, wow. There's another movie called A Serious Shock. Yes, Madam. A.K.A. Yes, Madam 92. A Serious Shock. Wow, she fucking... That was like her thing, man. Just fucking tough cop Michelle Yeoh. <laughs> 80s roles. Like all the way into the mid-90s. Wow. Well, and then she made yet another Yes, Madam in 1995. Jesus. It's almost like every fucking movie. Yes, Madam 5, 96. Jesus. She's really fucking... <laughs> in too deep with this Yes, Madam shit. I mean, I'm sure they're fun, but... Anyway, um... <laughs> In the Line of Duty 3 was not a great showing. Um... Well, she's good in it, but she doesn't... Like, that's the thing with this movie, is that it... It's not focused on her. She's the star. But she kind of shares... The... The main amount of screen time with... A Japanese cop that's come to Hong Kong to get these jewel thieves and then there's another cop uh, with them and then I don't know whatever <laughs> then they're just doing their things and then they're trying to get these jewel thieves thieves and there's a few cameos in the movie from uh, some lucky stars including Stanley Fung, Richard Eng and Eric Sang and Richard Eng does a does a little um, takeoff of a thing that he does in one of the Lucky Stars movies, where um, he reads this book in in one of them. I don't remember which one. And he reads this book anyway, and he's and he's trying to learn how to be invisible. <laughs> and then he does some shit, and because of some, I don't remember how, but he he actually thinks he's invisible <laughs> and he's like naked <laughs> and he's walking around the house like doing all this shit and the other lucky stars guys are acting <laughs> like they don't see him to to keep the fucking the joke going and so then he does all this dumb shit just naked walking around the house it's fucking <laughs> it sounds stupid just saying it but man I don't know I enjoyed it <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so so this movie not very good. There is some good action. Um but honestly, for I mean for a Yoon clan movie, fucking it could have been a lot better. There's some really brutal shit. <laughs> it's a uh and it gets like pretty gory too. Not I mean not like fucking horror movie crazy gore levels but um there's some pretty gnarly shit you know <laughs> things that'll make you go hmm <laughs> no they'll make you go <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, all right, so in the line of duty three, I don't necessarily recommend it unless you're uh, deep into Hong Kong movies. But uh, there is light at the end of the tunnel because In the Line of Duty 4 is directed by Yoon Woo Ping and, and it stars uh, Cynthia Khan and Donnie Yen, a young Donnie Yen uh, in the 80s. So I'm looking forward uh, greatly to that movie. Uh, but that is not the movie that I watched, <laughs> unfortunately. Uh, I should have skipped over it. Ah, there's, no, the, the brutality in this is, <laughs> is worth the price of admission. Um... Okay, so that's that movie. Um, what did I watch after that? Oh, I continued. Um, I continued the uh, the little trek through Sammo Hung's uh, directorial filmography. I was initially going to do chronological, but then a bunch of the movies were hard to get. So I skipped over a bunch, and and I, like when I got to the Lucky Stars movies, I I, I want to rewatch those, uh, but I didn't want to rewatch them at the time because I had a bunch of other Sam Hung movies that I hadn't seen. So I just skipped over them, and so now I'm doing chronological of like the things that I have, and then I, I got some other ones, uh, some older ones. So I'll go back after that. Anyway, I watched a 1993 movie called Moon Warriors, directed by Sammo Hung. Although, it, um, and I should have pulled this up before I did the movie. But anyway, oh, it says it here. Good. Uh, apparently, Sammo Hung didn't actually direct uh, most of the movie he came in and kind of like pulled together this uh, failing production <laughs> they couldn't get it together and uh, so Samo came in and shot a few things and then oversaw the editing of the final movie and then he got uh, credit for it and when I was watching the movie I did not know that but uh, I've been watching so many Sammo Hung movies that I have a pretty good handle on what a Sammo Hung movie generally feels like. And Moon Warriors uh, does not feel like a Sammo Hung movie in any way, really. There's a couple moments where maybe you can see like, oh yeah, that's, that's a little bit of a Sammo Hung thing. But primarily, that's just completely not anything like his style. So, uh, The Moon Warriors is a wuxia movie, meaning that it's a swordplay fantasy. And so flying people, stuff like that. And the action was designed by Tony Ching Siu-Tung and Corey Yoon. And uh, Ching Siu-Tung is one of the greatest um, choreographers of Hong Kong. He is kind of like known for it within the wuxia movies that he's done and he also started at Shaw Brothers uh, too like around probably 72, 73 something in there maybe 74 I don't know I know he's working now in the stuff that I'm reviewing now and he's been working for a little while um, so somewhere in there anyway whenever he does choreography for a wuxia movie 
the action is always very uh, stylized in his way. Like you can tell, oh, Ching Chu Tung must have worked on this one. And so like those things are spinning bodies. So like instead of just a guy jumping from the floor to a tree branch or something like that, he'll jump up, but he'll fucking spin the whole way up. And uh, another hallmark of his style of action is that all of the characters are wearing robes or some kind of long fabric that is then um, flowing in the wind with those spins or with the very um, specifically designed movements to enhance the fabrics like flow natural flow and to get it to kind of billow out and do things like that um, and also a very lots of uh, flourishes in the actual uh, sword work so you put all that stuff together and then you uh, choreograph it all and very fast and edit it all together perfectly and you have a wonderful Ching Shu Tung action scene. And I fucking love his his action scenes. They're unlike anything else really in Hong Kong. Uh, around this time, 92, late 80s, early 90s, really in the early 90s, the Wuxia movies got really fucking good. Uh, the wire work was just probably at the best it's ever been and ever will be. And they just are fucking killing it and I feel like to me Ching Su Chung like defined uh, what those movies were all trying to like aspire to like in the Shaw Brothers wushas that where they started in the in the uh, mid to late 60s and uh, the choreographers working on those movies over time developed what would later become the wire work that would allow for the this stuff in the 90s to be as amazing as it is at the time in the in the late 60s they just had they had guys on wires but they couldn't they couldn't fly up they could only swing so <laughs> So in a lot of old movies, you'll just see like a guy on a tree branch and then he swings over to the next branch. And I remember in uh, one movie, I think it was The Devil's Mirror, but I could be wrong. Uh, if I look at the review on that one, I will st I'll know. Uh, but anyway, because I, I remember writing about it on the review, there's a moment in that movie or another movie somewhere around that time frame where you see like the first wire work character that's actually flying up <laughs> and I fucking when I first saw it I shit my pants I was, like literally shit my pants. no I didn't but <laughs> but it was a it was like fucking blew my mind I was like oh shit it begins <laughs> and then um, if I remember right also in that movie there's there's somebody that flies up and there's also um, a flight up and then a landing like a very stylized 
posed landing on like the tip of this rock and it's all done just with wire work there's no edits or anything and it's just man that's the fucking future of movies right there in one little you know two seconds of this movie so anyway i i i enjoy this kind of um <laughs> like uh <laughs> fucking back down home fucking <laughs> uh, i can't think of the words i'm all tired damn it's late already fuck i just barely started this but uh <laughs> like <laughs> down home film history <laughs> where it's just like oh wow look at that that <laughs> he flew up <laughs> Alright, so Moon Warriors, did I even, I didn't even barely talk about this movie. Um, it felt like I was reminded, by the way that it was shot, I was reminded of the King Hu movie Touch of Zen. There's a lot of light coming through trees and, and bamboo forests and things, and it's shot in a way so that like you see the shafts of light coming through and it's it's very uh specifically stylized in that way and which is also a thing from uh the kurosawa movie rashomon uh, rashomon's cinematography is well known for being like super atypical of of the time because kurosawa was just like pointing the camera up at the sun while it was shining through the trees to get this very distinct uh, kind of look and it, it's not like the look in Moon Warriors in any way but as anytime I see light coming through trees at some level I am reminded of, of Rashomon because I feel like that's where uh, it started and that's another bit of <laughs> fucking back home what the fuck did I say down home film history <laughs> um <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> uh, but before I get to that funny thing let me just say there's another thing where so like this movie reminded me of touches in uh with the bamboo and and the way that it's I it's kind of presented as this a little more of an epic story than just your standard uh, movie and I don't have any kind of examples or whatever um, there's basically like an emperor and and uh, like a Andy Lau plays a, a fisherman who gets roped into this struggle between uh, the emperor and his brother who's trying to take over from him and there's a couple girls uh, there's a princess played by Anita Moy um, the wonderful Anita Moy who's in Rumble in the Bronx and uh, Drunken Master 2 as, as Jackie Chan's mother um, anyway Moon Warriors is very I, I loved it well I don't know that I'd say, oh, I loved it, because then if you watch it, you'd be like, oh, you loved this. I, I really enjoyed it quite a bit. Oh, fuck it. I loved it. <laughs> I don't give a shit. What does it matter? Um, 
I did I did enjoy it quite a bit. There's um songs in it, but they're not like the way they're presented is exactly how the songs were presented in the early Shaw Brothers Wuxias where they were just coming out of the Huangmei opera time and moving into the just martial arts movies time. So there's all these transitional movies where they have uh, songs and martial arts. But the songs, almost 100% of the songs in those martial arts movies are sung by a character in their thoughts. So like there's a a swordsman who's setting out on a journey and there'll be all these beautiful wonderful shots of the swordsman walking down a mountain path walking up a hill fucking walking around a corner <laughs> you know i don't know <laughs> and uh there will be a song playing uh, with him singing and then there'll be subtitles where he's like I don't know if I can do this what will come of me or whatever it's it's not quite as uh, literal as that but it's more like uh, they sing about like existential crises like he doesn't know if he's good enough to um be a person in this world or to exist or what I don't know it's been a long time since I've seen those but they definitely don't they're not like forwarding narrative with songs in the same way that like an American musical would or a, or just a traditional musical um, the songs in those those wuxia movies the early wuxia movies are very much just like uh, the character singing his very specific emotions and and feelings and thoughts of right then and so there's a bunch maybe well not a bunch but like at least three maybe four uh songs like that in uh the moon warriors which i uh really enjoyed i thought they were uh fun and uh you know who doesn't like a good song right <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny to me how how much I've changed on these songs in the movies. I when I first started watching those Shaw Brothers uh, wushas, the the early ones, man, I fucking hated the songs. I just wanted some fights, and I was just like so unhappy. And and I mean, I enjoyed some of the movies quite a bit, but it was it was hard to get through those first few years. Uh, but now, now I'm like, I love them. And I bet if I would watch uh, some of those old movies that I didn't particularly care for at the time, I bet you I would like them quite a bit more now. Maybe not quite a bit more, but at least some more. <laughs> some more. <laughs> uh, what the fuck is some more? <laughs> Dumbass. Okay, so uh, I don't know that that's the Moon Warriors. I feel like <laughs> I, I feel like I talked about a lot of shit surrounding the movie, but I didn't actually talk about the movie itself. Oh, right! Before I forget, uh, the one thing that I wanted to bring up about the Moon Warriors is that Andy Lau is a fisherman, 
uh, before he gets roped into this uh, imperial struggle. And he lives in a village uh, that's kind of on the ocean. Um, and there's a river there too, uh, which is good because he's a fisherman, right? <laughs> uh, but anyway, not only is he a fisherman, he is a friend to the fish. And his best friend <laughs> is a killer whale. And it's, it's, it's in part, in, in a lot of the shots, it is a real killer whale. And the end credits play out over outtake footage of Andy Lau, the actual Andy Lau, learning how to uh, do the jumps and cue this killer whale to do all this stuff. So, like, he's out there swimming with the killer whale, and he's, like, standing on its fins while it jumps and shoots him into the air. He's doing it all. It's all Andy Lau. It's just... It's fucking cool. But the fucking cool part uh, illustrates why I prefer uh, the old masters of Hong Kong movies, specifically like the ones that were created around the time when I first got into Hong Kong movies. Uh, so like mid to late 90s. Because after that point, when they were creating new masters for DVD and stuff, uh, a lot of the subtitle translations got better. Now, not all of them, because there's still a lot of shitty, fucked-up subtitles on, on Hong Kong DVDs. Um, but in this specific case, I was able to... I read a couple of reviews, basically, and they mention a different name for the killer whale. And I don't remember what that name is. It doesn't matter. All you gotta know is that it's not as good as the name in the fucking the subtitles of the version that I saw. And the version that I saw was a DVD, but there was a time... Um, at the beginning of Hong Kong DVD land where they just put the old VHS masters, letterbox masters onto a DVD. It's not anamorphic. It's just slapped on it just like it would be if it was on a VHS. And they look better than a VHS, but it's for all intents and purposes, it's really no different. And I love it. I have no problems watching that. That To me, when I watch a Hong Kong movie in that uh, quality, that's, like, exactly what it should be. Like, to me, that feels like just pure Hong Kong movie. That's the fucking... That's where it lives. And then, you know, I see a lot of Blu-ray stuff, and I see a lot of uh, DVDs, you know, restored things. And those are great, and I love them, and I love that these movies are available, because in a lot of the cases, so many of these movies were just were not available to us at the time. But there is something lost in the translation when things are retranslated uh, to be more, more, uh, more better. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's a long build-up, but I think it will be worth it. So, Andy Lau calls his friend, the killer whale. 
he calls him in the subtitles C. Wayne as in S-E-A-C and Wayne as in Wayne Newton <laughs> the fucking C. Wayne <laughs> so you heard it here first if if you see Moon Warriors and the killer whale is not named C. Wayne just know that you have been robbed of a great hilarious beautiful part of Moon Warriors and I gotta say surprisingly C. Wayne uh, <laughs> is in the beginning of the movie and he's just like this little throwaway thing that uh you know, he's just swimming around, and Andy Lau's like, oh, hey, C. Wayne, whatever. And it's just a little thing. And you don't even think anything of it. But C. Wayne actually has a huge part in this movie as the movie goes on. Not really in plot or anything, but he does come back and help out. And the way that he helps out is fucking beautiful. <laughs> it is the greatest shit ever. It's so fucking dumb and cheesy and, like shit that Americans would never like accept in a movie but uh, it was beautifully imaginative and it's a wuxia so all kinds of weird supernatural shit can happen and I fucking loved it will I say what it is I don't really want to say because it's it's basically the fucking end of the movie uh, but just know that C. Wayne comes back and uh <laughs> Uh, he, he's awesome. He's fucking C. Wayne. <laughs> um, so that's Moon Warriors. Now, I'm at 42 minutes. Now, I don't know. what What's the next one? Oh, yeah. I watched the uh, Larry Cohen movie. It's Alive. Now, um, as I like to do, I'm going chronologically with Larry Cohen as well. And... I'm not doing one a week like I am with the Samo stuff. I'm just kind of going uh, when I feel like, um, yeah, it's about time for a Larry Cohen movie. That's when I'll watch uh, the next one. So in this case, the next one was It's Alive. And It's Alive is about a um, kind of mutant baby that is born, uh, and it just uh, starts rampaging and killing people immediately upon birth I mean fucking immediately <laughs> and this movie doesn't fuck around um, if you've ever seen Rosemary's Baby Rosemary's Baby is this huge I'm gonna I'm gonna fucking basically spoil Rosemary's Baby for anybody that hasn't seen it but I mean come on it's a fucking movie that's like what 50 years old or some shit um, not that that really matters because everybody is on their own uh their own train of of discovery um every you know especially now in the age of access you know we can all kind of cherry pick what we want to see and there's so many thousands of movies more than usual coming out in these uh digital era days but anyway rosemary's baby is this slow build up um while uh the main character is is pregnant and there's a fear that something might be wrong with the baby. Now I haven't seen this movie in like 25 years. 
well maybe not that long maybe 20 years i don't know it's been a long fucking time so if i get something wrong whatever but anyway it's this whole build-up she's scared about her baby what the fuck is gonna happen there's all this weird shit that points to the baby being weird and end of the movie the baby's fucking weird everybody goes oh shit and then you know it's fucking end of the movie now larry cohen's it's alive is as if (laughs) kind of it's in terms of structure you could basically take the last scene of rosemary's baby and just say like okay i want that move that i like that scene a lot but let's make a movie where that's kind of the first scene of the movie and that's it's alive <laughs> it starts with the fucking this mutant baby being born and there is a bit of a slow build up to that as the the parents are like oh i got it's time we got to go you know and it's it's uh what is it 74 i think it's alive was let me look um yeah, 74, so it's, um, oh, there is something about the 74, though. It was originally, um, the studio execs that greenlit it, uh, were very in favor of the movie, but by the time it was done in 1974, the entire, uh, managerial staff of the studio had changed, and they didn't give two shits about It's Alive, so they threw it in one theater, limited release, it fucking tanked, and it was gone. That was it. Then, and I don't remember specifically, something, oh, that's what it was, in in 1977, so three years later, Larry Cohen um, is like, you know what, let me try again with It's Alive, uh, the studio has a totally new, new uh, group of people running it, so maybe I can get some traction traction with them. So he talks to them, they agree to release it, uh, so then in 1977 it actually got a real release, and then it was a big fucking hit. And there, it has since spawned uh, two sequels, It's Alive uh, 2, and it's alive three. <laughs> I think they have subtitles too, but I don't know what they are. Um, but anyway, it's alive. The title sequence of it's alive is fucking brilliant. So it's a movie about babies being born. It starts with a baby in the womb, not a shot, but like just just plot wise that's where the movie begins there's a a mother about to have a baby and so the the title sequence is like all these lights and they're kind not not multicolored but there's a couple different color lights and they're just shining towards the camera and they're all moving all of them are moving around Um, not fast not slow just kind of moving and the way that they're moving looks kind of like the way cells swim around like if you look at uh, 
blood or whatever has cells under a fucking microscope. Cells moving around, you know. I don't know, some fucking amoebas or some shit. So it kind of looks like that. And then there's parts where, like, the lights connect with each other and they kind of flare out this big fucking... (laughs) And then they kind of uh, come back down into one thing and it looks like cells uh, interacting with each other and mutating and dividing and it's fucking awesome. (laughs) It's so cool. And uh, one of the great things about a Larry Cohen movie is a Larry Cohen commentary and I I generally don't have time to listen to a whole commentary Um, but I always make it a point with Larry Cohen to listen to at least some of it and so I listened to the commentary about this title sequence and all it was this is so fucking cool um, all it was because he didn't have the budget to, to send it off to a real optical printer to do all these kinds of fucking uh, like a full-on title sequence so he just went and I I think it was like his garage or something he had a bunch of ladders and flashlights and like him and his buddies would walk around uh, the space I, I think it was a garage but it could have been something else anyway they'd walk around with the flashlights turning them on and off uh, at at predefined times or whatever and then just walking up and down the the ladders to to get the movement and they're all walking around at the same time so that you get all these like um you know just things moving around little cells and then they superimpose like two or three different edits of those together so that then he had a whole like screen full of lights and it's only like two or three guys that were doing it and it's so fucking dope. It and he explains it uh, like in terms of budget, where they didn't have the money to do a title sequence, or or if they did have the money, it was going to cost a lot or some, some shit like that. And anyway, so he he uh, Larry Cohen is a very resourceful uh, director, and um, came up with some fucking <laughs> really dope shit. Uh, also of note in It's Alive is the music. Um, it's a great score, really wonderful score, and it was composed by the equally wonderful Bernard Herrmann, who is a very famous uh, film composer from the classic era. He composed the music for Alfred Hitchcock's movies, uh, many of his movies, such as Vertigo and North by Northwest, and fucking I'm drawing a blank rear window stuff like that psycho um you know the big ones the big guns so the music has a a good Bernard Herrmann feel it sounds great it perfectly works with the the images it's a very fun movie also with It's Alive the FX work is done by a young Rick Baker if you don't know Rick Baker uh, you're going to learn today. <laughs> anyway, um, I don't know what the fuck I'm going to say about Rick Baker, but he's dope. He's won multiple Oscars. He is behind, like, he, he, if 
for whatever reason, he got really uh, into or, or known for making uh, apes and shit like that. And so, like, he did the all the ape work, ape makeup work um, on, on the remake of uh, Planet of the Apes. Those fucking dope, dope, dope um, makeup effects of where, like, Tim Roth is that fucking chimpanzee and Michael Clark Duncan is a big old gorilla. I mean, say what you will about that that remake, the Tim Burton movie from the early 2000s. Uh, say what you will about the actual movie and, you know, how it's, you know, it just a soulless fucking remake but man those fucking monkey effects are incredible absolutely fucking incredible anyway so he worked also on like uh, American Werewolf in London and fucking I don't even it's just so many um The Exorcist he was an assistant on um, King Kong, he worked on the, the 70s King Kong. He did some work on Star Wars, uh, the original. He worked on Videodrome and the Thriller video and John Carpenter's Starman. He did fucking Captain EO. <laughs> he was the creature designer for Harry and the Hendersons, uh, specifically Harry himself. <laughs> that lovable fucking furball. <laughs> One of my favorite fucking scenes in all of movies is that fucking shit where Harry is watching TV and he's fucking laughing at shit. <laughs> I gotta remember. I'll fucking try to put that sound in. <laughs> Anyway, Rick Baker's fucking amazing, and I believe he's uh, retired at this point in his career. Um, he's he's almost seventy, so you know he's earned his break. Uh, but anyway, uh, the It's Alive was very early in his career. He was he was uh, just a couple of years in, and so and the movie doesn't have a lot of effects, but it has this baby mutated baby that looks fucking fantastic um, and for most of the movie it's obscured uh, for tension and stuff and the movie is surprisingly uh, reserved and like uh, classically made it's it's a really ridiculous over the top fucking schlock premise but Man, I mean, it is not made like that at all. It is made with total respect of of like movies and and what has come before in the horror genre, and just made with real skill and style. And I would expect no less from uh, Larry Cohen, but uh, especially at the time, I mean, who the fuck knew who Larry Cohen was? You know, nobody knew that. And really, more people should know who he is because he's just fucking awesome. I love him. Uh, and I look forward to uh, seeing uh, the next movie on his filmography. And I don't remember which one that is. 
So I got one more movie to talk about. And I I gotta say, man, I'm fucking beat. <laughs> so I don't know how much I'm gonna talk about this one. Anyway, um nineteen eighty four. It is a uh like a college based fucking eighties comedy. And it is called Splits <laughs> with a Z at the end. And it is about an all-girl rock band uh, named Splits. And somehow, like, they're they're performing and they're doing their thing. But then somehow, then at the college, there's two sororities, like, fighting each other um, through sports. And somehow the, the all-girl the all band gets like roped into the cause and so they're they're playing on the underdogs team for most of the movie where they're just you know like uh playing fucking soccer and wrestling and basketball are the three sports if i remember right and <laughs> like uh a few years ago i really started getting into uh 80s like sex comedies because they're just fucking funny. <laughs> like, I don't know. I don't remember what got me into them. But I watched one and it was just like, man, this that was a fucking blast. <laughs> I got to see some more of those. And then over the, the last couple of years, I've been watching a bunch. And so Splits, I got to say, it was a fucking blast. <laughs> it was so fucking stupid. <laughs> but man, I was laughing hard. It <laughs> It's so funny. There's... <laughs> There's like this fucking, uh, this dean of the students, this like real mean lady, and she wears like uh, like to to keep her button closed, whatever. I don't know what the fuck they call it. <laughs> I'm not cultured. Anyway, at the top of her shirt to keep her button closed, she wears like a fucking iron cross. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, there's one scene where she like starts yelling at the young girls and the young girl's hair just like blows back like from the fucking intense wind of her of the the dean's bitch session <laughs> it's so dumb but i just fucking loved it and it's chock fucking full of 80s pop songs uh, which is a quick way to my heart especially when it involves a band performing live because I always enjoy watching uh, the band kind of <laughs> bounce around and lip sync and just the, just the fucking energy of an 80s comedy is like unequaled in movies today like it's just it's fucking great there's such a like a rollicking fun energy to these kind of movies and obviously there's some that just, you know, fail or whatever. But uh, this one, <laughs> I fucking really enjoyed it. I thought it was great. And um, in in weird uh, filmography news, the, uh, the director of photography for Splits uh, <laughs> was uh, a guy... And I don't, I didn't, ha I don't have his name. I feel bad. I mean, uh, 
Uh, let me look up his name, because I'll feel bad if I don't say what his name is. Not that it matters. I mean, you know, it's not like he's listening to this. Okay, uh, Ronnie Taylor. So it, the film was shot by Ronnie Taylor, and Ronnie Taylor uh, co-won an Oscar for shooting a, a little movie called Gandhi. Yeah, so the <laughs> the guy who worked on uh, Gandhi also worked on Splits, and apparently he was also a camera operator on the original Star Wars, and uh, he worked uh, with Kubrick on Barry Lyndon. I don't know if he was in cinematography capacity or if he was just uh, the camera operator at that point. I don't know. But anyway, he worked on these great fucking movies of uh, the 70s and then uh, now in the 80s. He's working on splits. <laughs> it's a fucking fickle business, Hollywood. <laughs> fucking show business. <laughs> um, so I'm kind of falling asleep while I'm talking. <laughs> if that is possible, um, I can confirm that it is possible, actually. Because I was in the middle of that sentence a couple sentences back. I literally fucking like faded out, closed my eyes and I had a, a a thought, like a moment where I thought, wow, like I'm falling asleep, but I'm still talking. <laughs> what the fuck am I talking about? And, and like I never <laughs> stopped talking about whatever the fuck I was talking about. Uh, so it was a little out of body experience. Um, well, I'm not out of body. I was still in the body, but uh, I don't know what you call that. Write in with some feedback if you know what the, <laughs> what the fuck to call that. <laughs> You're feeling very relaxed now. Very relaxed. Very shit-faced. Uh, okay, so I don't know. That splits. I fucking loved it. Um, it's a blast. Don't expect <laughs> fucking Gandhi. Uh <laughs> <laughs> or Barry Lyndon, because uh, those movies, it is not. And that is great. It is exactly what it needs to be, a dumb fucking sex comedy uh, coming out of the 80s with pop songs. So that'll do it for the show. Upcoming on the site this week, I will have reviews. What will the reviews be? I have to look because usually I write it on this show notes thing here, but uh, I forgot to do it. So, oh, and of course I have to log into WordPress. I can't just fucking, okay, here we go. What the fuck was I looking for? Oh, yeah, the movies that are coming out. Okay. So upcoming on the site uh, this week, I have a full moon uh, kids movie called Train Quest. Uh, that's actually a pretty good <laughs> little uh, family movie. Um, not that I have a family, but I just, uh, you know, I assume it would be good for kids and, and their their folks. <laughs> I enjoyed it. Um, and then the Shaw Brothers movie uh, will be the 1975 Ho Meng film The Flying Guillotine. And uh, this is the movie that really started the, the, the guillotine craze uh, to a small fanfare, and then uh, which was taken by Jimmy Wang Yu uh, the next year. And he made uh, Master of the Flying Guillotine, which is actually a sequel 
to his movie One Armed, Box- One Armed Boxer uh, and and Master of the Flying Guillotine is actually called One Armed Boxer versus the the Flying Guillotine or something like that to kind of tie it in so you know it's a sequel but but it was the One Armed Boxer was never re- released in the U.S. so there's no need for um. Now, see, that was a moment where I was talking and I was falling asleep, and I did forget what the fuck I was saying. <laughs> so whatever, fuck it. Uh, that's the podcast. <laughs> you want complete thoughts? Go somewhere else. <laughs> uh, so that's the show. Um, if you have any feedback, send it in. Um. So yeah. Uh, adios. Vito. Why don't you go upstairs and take a crap? You know how that relaxes you. Actually, I fooled myself because I thought I was done, but I am actually not done because I totally forgot in in the the haze of of the mic, the mic uh, situation, I forgot uh, that I had some feedback. So I'm going to fall asleep through some feedback here. It's just a little bit. So I uh, was going to do it in the morning, but I thought, eh, fuck it. So Steven writes in, yeah, fuck you, Mike. Joel Hodgson slash Robinson was a better host. Actually, Mike wasn't bad, but fuck him anyway. Joel was better. Hopefully, there isn't too much of a time gap here, and that pun still makes sense. And Gangster Butters sounds like a great South Park episode. Make it happen. So, uh, in terms of time gap, I do remember the fucked up Mike... Uh, forever in my heart, the fucker uh, cut me deep, and uh, it's currently sitting in the corner, literally sitting in in the corner, um, contemplating its life because it's it's kind of on death row now at this point, and I, and to be honest, it probably still works fine, and it was probably some software error or something that I had. Uh, configured wrong or something um, I'm sure the thing is fine but uh, do I really care uh, I don't think so um, in terms of mystery science theater which I believe you are referring to I never really watched it I watched a couple um, I always preferred to watch the movies themselves and have my own kind of running commentary uh, than the guys but um, <laughs> there's <laughs> uh, quite a few little bits that I've seen that are uh, pretty hilarious and so I can't weigh in on uh, the the host controversy though uh, Gangster Butters I'm assuming I said that at some point in the episode I don't remember <laughs> but uh, if you say I did I guess I did 
So uh, I, I agree. That could be a, a good uh, South Park episode title. And uh, I'm sure uh, they would uh, crank out something uh, uh, worthwhile. <laughs> Man, I'm so fucking tired. It's like every goddamn time I say, oh, I'm so fucking tired. But this time I'm literally falling asleep. <laughs> but it's funny, so I just keep going. Um, And then uh, Uncle Jasper sent in this little bit saying, I'm getting caught back up on the podcast this week. Damn, dude. Thanks for talking about clones of Bruce Lee. Shit had me in tears. I really want to watch that shit again now. Wow, that that was pretty bad. I really want to watch that shit again now. That was fucking horrific. Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) What the fuck was that? (laughs) Um, But yeah, um, yeah, no problem talking about clones of Bruce Lee. Uh, You know, I, I just watched it. Talked about it, ain't no thing. <laughs> uh, I don't remember what I said, but um, I do. I did dredge up the the memory of the uh, Bruce Lee VHS tape with him with the uh, M16. <laughs> so, which I highly recommend you go and look at if you haven't already. I don't remember how to get there, but if you listen to the other part of the show where where I was talking about it, uh, the other part of the other show. Uh, I think I say how to get it or whatever. Um, I don't remember, honestly. Whoa. Man, <laughs> now I'm dropping shit. <laughs> Alright, so did I did I suitably respond to this stuff? I guess so. I don't know. Oh, that's what I was going to say. Getting caught back up on the podcast. What the fuck? You mean you don't listen on the exact moment that I drop this shit? <laughs> <laughs> uh no um hey honestly i'm i'm fucking <laughs> happy that anybody listens to any part of this in any kind of uh complete way so uh, thank you very much to everybody who's listening uh, i do appreciate every last one of you give yourselves a little pat on the back <laughs> a little uh, schoolyard <laughs> 80s style pat on the back <laughs> yeah. Uh, Okay, Uh, for real. Adios. (laughs) 